open with me today to John 20. And we're going to read verses 11 through 19, and then we're going to jump to verse 24 through 29. So John 20, 11 through 18, and then verse 24 through 29. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories of Jesus' friends. We're outside, it's a little windy. So we're going to look at two stories of Jesus' friends, and two of the friends, Mary Magdalene, who is broken hearted and Thomas who is this great doubter and skeptic and they meet Jesus just at the perfect time for them Mary is weeping when she meets Jesus and Thomas is gripped and plagued by doubt and yet he reaches across and gives them exactly what they need in that moment to wake them up for them to come to faith and see that he really is a great God. So my guess is that some of you are a bit brokenhearted and that would be normal because to walk through this world is to be brokenhearted. And that means you are ripe to discover or rediscover the risen savior. And some of you are gripped and plagued by doubt. To some degree, all of you are. That's what it means to walk through this life. Uh, I believe but help my unbelief is the cry of the Christian. And so what you need today is to hear the call of Jesus, the same call he gives to Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. And today is about understanding that we are all to some degree in a prison of darkness. And what today is about, what Easter is about, is the Lord of Easter rips open that prison that you are in and all of a sudden this dark room begins to shine light in and it that light begins to drive the darkness out and life enters in so much so that at some point that door is completely open and you walk out and have new life so i just want you to imagine right now you are in this dark room this dark prison and you see nothing and you're just longing for something to open that door and finally you have a savior who comes and he starts opening that door and that light begins to come in and as it comes in it fills up the room and darkness flees because the lord of easter has come in that is what easter is about the death of death the death of darkness and the light coming in and winning so today i want to ask you that if you are a christian that you would be open-minded to the possibility that you have grown numb and your soul has grown numb to the resurrection. And what you need is some light to come in for your soul to open back up, to hope a bit. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, uh, what I want to encourage you to do today is to be open-minded to the possibility that there is something to hope in. And there is something more than what you've experienced in this life and that uh, believe it or not despite everything God has come and he has died and he has rose and he did it for you and so what I want us to do now is to go and discover this Christianity this movement that has changed the course of history and countless lives have been changed by this truth 
of a savior coming down from the heavens, dying and then rising. So let's go, let's go see this life-changing movement. John 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, skip forward to Thomas. So, in between these verses, Jesus has appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. So Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, I want to look at Mary first. Uh, this is Jesus, the Savior of the brokenhearted. So Mary, her life at best could be characterized as shameful. And then she meets Jesus, and he absolutely changes everything for her. He becomes to her a bit of a small Savior, though, a bit of a small Lord. See, he, he saved her from her old life, her shameful life, and rescued her and gave her acceptance and love and a new family to belong to. But Mary wasn't looking for more from him, but she should have been. Mary was thinking too small about Jesus. She saw him as an earthly savior and an earthly Lord. He was a great man in her eyes and he should have been. He did some great things for her. He had rescued her from a horrible life and Jesus had always something greater in mind for Mary, but Mary did not know that. And so we find her weeping outside of the tomb. I'd imagine that her life at that moment was filled with tons of fear because now her savior's gone and she's worried she's gonna lose this new community that she's been part of. He was the one who rescued her. And so maybe now she's gonna go back to this old life and she's terrified about what's about to happen. So what does she do? Well, she's at the tomb and, and here's how this all went down. So, so Mary comes to the tomb first, and she sees that Jesus is gone. So she takes off running back to the disciples, and she tells John and Peter, he's not here. He's not here anymore. And so they all come running back, and they can't find Jesus' body. So Peter and John eventually get tired of looking, and they leave. But Mary stays. 
and she begins to weep. And as she's sitting there weeping, she does something weird. She starts looking in the tomb. Now, it's strange because she already knows he's not there. So why is she looking in the tomb? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but perhaps she's just can't believe what's going on and she's trying to look again. Or perhaps she thinks that they've missed something or she just doesn't know. She's just finding herself wandering around looking in the tomb. And so what we have to conclude from this is that Mary has no idea who Jesus really is. She thinks he's a great teacher, a philosopher, a moral teacher, or just a good man, but she hasn't realized that he's the kind of savior that you do not find in the grave because he is alive. He's the Lord of Easter. So Mary finds herself in this prison of darkness. And Jesus has just brought some light in in her life but she thinks it's just a glimmer of light. She doesn't realize who he is, and so she lets the room of her soul fill up a little bit with this light, but it's only a glimmer fully of who he is and what he's capable of doing for her. So Mary has not discovered something yet about her Lord, that he is king over everything, even death. So what we need to learn from Mary is that there's a potential that all of us are making the same mistake and we're making Jesus out to be a small savior and a small Lord. He's far bigger than that. He takes up all of space and time and everything moves to him. To be glorious is for things to move in your presence and so everything absolutely that has been created moves if he calls it to move. Perhaps you're in some sort of prison. Maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. And perhaps this darkness has a hold of you. And I think most of us haven't fully realized who Jesus really is. And we're just like Mary. Maybe he's a great teacher to us. Maybe he's a good moral, moral philosopher. Or maybe he's just a good dude. So Mary did not realize that she walked beside the Lord of creation when he was still with her. And there's a potential that we aren't realizing who he really is. He's indescribable. But he makes himself known. His glory reaches beyond the heavens. I just gotta read, I just gotta read what I'm about to read because it's a bunch of one-liners and I don't want to mess them up. So here you go. His glory reaches beyond the heavens, yet he left it in the heavens to become with Mary and with you. And I bet to a degree you're making the same mistake as Mary. You are looking for him in the grave, and he is not there. He is no mere king, but the king of kings and the lord of lords. He doesn't just teach the truth, he is the very fact of existence. He is sovereign over all, yet comes to make himself a servant. He commands the seas to move and they listen. He commands the earth to rise up out of the mountains. He commands the stars to shine and the sun to rise. Yet he comes into a world that rejected him and put him in the grave, but he let it happen so he could conquer death. Stop looking in the grave. He is not that kind of king. He's powerful yet tender, merciful yet just, loving yet unsafe. He is one of the greatest. He's, he's what every great story seeks to write about and every song wants to describe. He is, his life was lived perfectly, yet he died a sinner's death. 
He is holy, yet seeks a rebellious people. He is everlasting, yet obedient to the point of death. He's a good shepherd. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is both the Lion of Power and the Lamb that was slain. He is the paradox that makes everything else make sense. And he is the centerpiece of the Bible, the very Word of God. And every word in the Bible points to him, and every word is of him. I'm not done yet, though. He's the meaning of life, the reason you live, and the purpose you long to find. But if you want him, you've got to stop looking in the grave. He calls you to take up your cross and follow him. Yet he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The government and religion of his day saw him as a tyrant, but they could not beat him. The grave tried to swallow him, but he bit back. The tomb tried to hold him, but he put the tomb in its own coffin. And death tried to take him, but he put death to death. Stop seeking him among the dead. He is alive. Yet Mary's weeping. In fact, four times we see in our verses she's weeping. And then one of my favorite little exchanges in the Bible happens. Where Mary looks in the tomb and she sees these angels, no big deal. And they're just sitting there and she's, they're like, hey, why are you weeping? And then she leaves and she walks out of the tomb and she sees what she thinks to be a gardener, but actually it's not a gardener. And this gardener, or so-called gardener, says to her, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken away my Lord. And this exchange keeps happening. And then finally, Jesus looks at her and says, Mary. And she realizes who he is. And she turns to him and says, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I hope you heard it in the way that it was said. It's almost like she's saying, my Rabboni, my teacher. There's something very personal happening here. And here's what's going on. Jesus has just come to her in a very personal way. And that is why she now recognizes him as the Lord of Easter. And, but he's not just coming to her personally. He's coming to her in disguise. If she thinks he's a gardener, but he's the Lord of all creation. He's still holding back his glory. He came looking like a gardener, but he's the risen king of kings. There will come a day when every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. And angels will be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But here, he's coming to her like a gardener. And he comes into our world like a baby. And what's so fascinating is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of Easter, as he comes into the world, makes himself completely vulnerable to a humanity that has been rebellious against his father since the beginning, yet he allows himself to be held by the very creation that is rebelling against him. He is completely vulnerable. And up upon the cross, he's stripped naked, completely vulnerable. But this is the kind of God we have. But the story doesn't end there. He becomes vulnerable to the point of death, but then he comes alive and lays death in its own grave. And he's doing all of this. He's coming in disguise. He's coming, laying his glory aside because he wants to get personal, not just with Mary, but with me and with you. And he's come to be our tender counselor, our gentle king, and he's the God who is furious over sin, yet he comes to give us a hug to melt our heart of stone. Some of you have been focusing on all the reasons why you should be weeping. 
and you don't realize who is beside you. And it does not mean that you stop weeping when you see that the risen Savior is beside you. In fact, you might weep more. Because when you find him, you discover another world. And then you long even more for that world. And it makes this world all the more tragic. All the more to mourn over. But, as you mourn, you also hope. You have a peace. Because you have him. And you have a joy. And you have something to celebrate, even though you are in the midst of tears. And that's what Mary has discovered in her Savior. You are not weeping alone when you weep. And actually, finding out that this gardener is actually your Savior, though it makes you weep, it makes you hope all the more. But he's a gardener. Now, here's what's interesting. In Isaiah, we're told that the word of God will come down, essentially will not return void as it goes back up. Like water coming down, giving life and doing what it's meant to do. Now, Jesus is the word of life, and so he has come down to be the gardener that waters us, his creation, and we are then lifted up and resurrected with him as he comes to be our living water. He changed everything for Mary, and he could do the same thing for you. But you gotta get through to him or you've got to let him get through to you, but it's likely that you have only scratched the surface of knowing who he really is, just like what happened to Mary. So I want to introduce you now. So that was Mary. Now we're going to move to Thomas, or AKA Doubting Thomas. And you might think that they're pretty similar, but actually, well, actually they are similar. You might think that they're different, but they're very similar. Mary, though, was the type of person whose life looked like a train wreck. And Thomas was likely the kind of guy who, to a degree, had everything together. He wouldn't allow himself to hope too much. He wouldn't allow himself to believe in foolish things. He wouldn't fall for any nonsense. And he's probably skeptical of most things. And we see that after Jesus dies, he remains alone. So all of his friends are together. They're probably weeping over what's happened, but he refuses to go. He doesn't want to be part of it. Maybe he's strong and he has to turn off his mind to what's happened and so he's going to go and face the world as it is and he's going to get through this. He says what I hear so many people say. You know what? If he could just be here with me, if I could touch him, then I'd believe there's a God. Then I might believe in this whole resurrection thing. And it's such nonsense when people say that but actually, it's exactly what Jesus gives Thomas. He gives him just what he needs, but we have something even greater. What Jesus promises, promises to us is that when he leaves, he's sending us his spirit who will dwell within us and will help us to actually somehow, some way, our hands and our eyes, our hands will be able to somehow, the, the hands of our soul will touch the side of our Savior, touch the holes in his hands, and we will believe it to be true. And the Spirit will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I know you guys. Oh, and, and, and look at this too. It says, blessed is he who believes without seeing. So look, blessed comes first. Blessed is he. Here's what that means. In order for you to believe, you must be blessed by God first. Meaning God is doing work in you right now. 
even before you believe, and every time you grow, it's because God is previously doing work in you. And then you hear something like this, and it focuses the, your soul upon God, and it starts stirring in you something that God's already been doing. And either you come to faith and finally believe all this is true, or you continue to grow more and more in your faith. And, all right, I've talked with a lot of you at the other side of the screen, and I know that a lot of you are not on board with this resurrection thing. Like, you like the idea of Christianity, or you say, yeah, there's God, and uh, we should probably live a good life, but I can't get on board with this whole resurrection thing. Now, what I want you to see, I want you to look at Thomas, because he's equally as skeptical as you, if not more. Because his friends, all of his friends are telling him, the people he trusts are telling him, we have seen him alive. And Jesus has been talking about it the whole time. He's saying, I'm going to rise from the grave. And we see him do it, but he remains skeptical. But, I want you to look at this. He believes eventually. And he believes eventually because he was, a curi he was curious enough to show up. This is, what church, this is what the church is. I mean, it's about being with your friends. It's about showing up. It's about at least being curious enough or hopeful enough to show up and then seeing what happens, seeing what God does. So what I want to encourage you to do is to give yourself a chance to hope. Drop the walls of your fear that you're going to seem foolish. Christianity requires a bit of vulnerability. It requires coming to God naked, you might say. It requires coming to God holding out your hands and saying, I need something. And that's vulnerable, and that's terrifying. And it could be that what's happened in your life is that you've been burned by people. That you've put your hope in people, and it didn't work out. And so now you've shut your hope off to God. But I want, you to tell you, I want to tell you, you're protecting yourself, but it's like you've got a blanket covering you in front of a lion. It's not going to protect you. He wants you. If he wants you, he's going to get you in a good way. And so just go to him and trust that he is not a dead lion, but a lion who's gone into the grave and has come out. And he wants you. And I would say just admit this for a bit. Just admit that you long for something to hope in. You're looking for it. You haven't maybe found it yet but you want something. And what you've got to do is allow yourself to hope and ask the Spirit to give you hands that can feel the holes in his side, the holes in his hands. And the other thing that you have to see about Thomas is Thomas becomes one of the greatest heroes of the Christian faith. Because up until this point, Thomas, who was doubting, up until this point, nobody had proclaimed that Jesus is God. And then in verse 28, Thomas goes from being the skeptic to the Christian who makes the very first proclamation that Jesus is God himself. It's this beautiful thing. So sometimes, in the road of skepticism, you are closer to truth than you realize. You just have to stop suppressing it. And you have to allow yourself to hope a bit and to be curious enough to let your wonder out and to discover, like a child, 
that the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is Jesus. So whether you are like Mary who is weeping or Thomas who is plagued by doubt, you have a God that our text says is seeking you out. And as he seeks you out like the gardener, he says to you, who are you seeking? And he's challenging you. He's challenging you to think and he's challenging you to realize that you are seeking someone or something. And he, what he's saying is, like to Mary, I'm right in front of you and I've been with you this whole time. So just come to me. I am life, come to me. And then he approaches Thomas and he says, peace be with you. Now, why does he offer Thomas peace? Because he is peace. He is life. He is the gardener who pulled death up out of the ground and threw it out, never to be seen again. Burned it up so that he could plant life in you by defeating death. So how did he do this? I mean, this is the key question. This is what everything hinges on, is how does he defeat death? And here's how. He comes like the gardener. He comes like a mere man, and he lives perfectly. And he gives himself over to death. And death swallows him up. And he enters into this prison. And he opens the door. And as he opens the door, he pushes you out. And the door of this prison is shut on him. And he's surrounded by darkness. And he's swallowed up by death. But then, the author of life breathes again. And in the darkness, the source of light begins to shine. And it begins to grow in his glory until he overwhelms the prison of death. And the door bursts open. And out walks the Lord of Easter. And he takes you by, by the hand. And he walks you into life with him forevermore. That is what Easter is about. That is what we celebrate. That we have the Lord of Easter come to us. So as he comes to you, go to him. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that our hands would reach out. As we see you bust open the prison of death and walk out to us, we pray that you would give us, you would bless us so much so that we might reach our hand out to you and you might take us and bring us into the life that we've always wanted. God, we believe, but help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.